You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Anytime you take a stand, there's a price to pay. I don't think Mordecai had any idea that his stand to not bow to Haman could cost the lives or would, if the plan worked, of approximately 15 million Jews. His countrymen, including who? Esther, the queen, because she was Jewish. Mordecai's devastated. He knows that the law is irrevocable. The only thing he knows how to do is mourn. In your walk with Christ, have you ever taken a stand for what you believe in, only to feel even more pressure from the world? In today's message, Pastor Dave wants you to know that no matter how improbable your situation may seem, God has a plan for you. He is always working everything for your good. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Esther chapter 4 as he begins his message, For Such a Time as This. We learned that Esther has been queen now for about four years. And things were going well, if you remember what we studied. There was peace in the kingdom, and Uncle Mordecai was sitting at the city gate in a position of honor. Enter a man named Haman. The king promoted him without rhyme or reason. The king advanced him and set him above all the princes who were with him. Now, Haman gained enormous power because of that. He had the king's ear also. So much so that when the servants saw him, they all bowed before him. And we talked about bowing in this particular time and age. It wasn't just a bow. It was prostrating yourself on the floor, on the ground before them. Haman wanted everybody to do that. Mordecai did not. He refused. When asked why he did not do this or bow to Haman, he answered it was because he was a Jew and they would not bow to any man. This was the first time that Mordecai had told people that he was a Jew because he kept it silent all these years. But now he was in the open for all to see. This enraged Haman. Haman really got angry to the point where he decided that he would destroy all of the Jews in the kingdom. So he put together a plan, and he issued a decree to have all the Jews in the Persian Empire destroyed because Mordecai wouldn't bow to him like all the other people in the kingdom. At this time, it was estimated that there were some 15 million Jews in the kingdom, and they were all scheduled to be eliminated. They were all scheduled to be killed. Because Haman went to astrologers and soothsayers, and they set the time for this mass murder 11 months yet in the future. Then, after all the plan was hatched, Haman takes it to the king, and over drinks, the king agrees. The king basically gives his his approval, and the decree actually then becomes law. That's important to remember. The 
The decree becomes law, and it's translated into so many different languages that all would hear it now. Because the kingdom, the Persian kingdom, was enormous. It was very, very large at that time. And the reason it's important is because we studied last time that the law of the Medes and the Persians was irrevocable. Once it was in motion, it could not be stopped. So just keep that in mind. So basically, the Jews were trapped. Basically, they had nowhere to go. They couldn't leave. Where would they go? Where where would they go to? Even if they went back to Israel, which they should have gone back years earlier when everybody else went back, that too was still under the rule of King Ahasuerus. It was still under the rule of Persia, so his edict would still stand even in their homeland. So now as we come to chapter 4, Mordecai learns of this plan, and he reads the decree. Let's look at verses 1 through 3 in our text. That chapter 4, verse 1, when Mordecai learned all that had happened, in other words, when he learned everything that Haman was doing, the decree went out that the king had signed it, and now that it became law, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. He cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth, And in every providence where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Tearing your clothes, wearing sackcloth and ashes was the way they mourned. It was in great distress. It was in great, great, great sorrow that they did this. But anytime you take a stand, there's a price to pay, isn't there? Anytime you take a stand, there's a price to pay. I don't think Mordecai had any idea that his stand to not bow to Haman could cost the lives or would, if the plan worked, of approximately 15 million Jews. His countrymen, including who? Esther, the queen, because she was Jewish. Mordecai's devastated. He knows that the law is irrevocable. The only thing he knows how to do is mourn. Mordecai showed deep grief and gives the appearance of repentance by wearing sackcloth. At this point, he's not afraid, nor does he care. Who knows he's a Jew? He's not, a care, he's not afraid of that. He already told the officers that he was a Jew, and now he was telling the entire city that not only was he Jewish, but the opposed to the decree. You know, there's a really interesting verse in Proverbs 24 that I want to read to you. In verses 11 and 12, it says... Deliver those who are drawn toward death and hold back those stumbling to slaughter. If you say, surely we don't know this, does not he who weighs the heart consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? In other words, when human lives are at stake, we can't be neutral. There's no neutrality when human lives are at stake. Someone once said this, and I love this quote, all that is required for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing, unquote. Think about it. Only one person during World War II, only one pastor during World War II in Germany came against Adolf Hitler. Who knows what he is? Who was it? Donoff, yes, yes, I'm sorry. I forgot his name. It just went out someplace. There it is, okay. So anyhow, when we do nothing, 
People could die if it comes down to this. This was happening here. So Mordecai ends up at the king's gate. This was the center of the city. This was the marketplace. This was the hub of all the action. He had gone as far as he could go. If he enters the gate wearing sackcloth, he would be in grave danger. Kings don't like sadness. Kings don't like mourning. Kings don't like bad news. Kings don't like those things. And when you present that towards the king, they get very upset. But Mordecai wanted to notify Esther. He wanted to get a word to Esther, and he didn't know how to do that. All the Jews everywhere in the providence learned of the decree and began mourning and fasting and weeping. They were wearing sackcloth and ashes. What was missing? Not one of them prayed, did they? Not one of them went to prayer. They did everything else. They did all of the other rituals, but they didn't pray. It's very interesting. These people go through all the other steps of the ritual. There's no mention of prayer. And when we are in a backslidden state and out of the will of the Lord, prayer is always the last thing we think of. It's always the last thing on our mind when we're in that state. We let the guilt, the suffering, the pain, it remains. That's why they're in sackcloth. That's why they have ashes on their hand. But the one thing that can change all that is what? Prayer. These were Jews. These were the apple of God's eyes, and they did not pray. They didn't come to him in prayer. It's not even inferred there. See, they were needlessly carrying a burden that they didn't have to carry. We do that. We carry burdens that we don't have to carry. We carry things on our backs and in our minds because of past hurts, past pains, past failures, and we carry them with us. What did Peter say? Cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. Why are we carrying these unnecessary things? Reminds me of Pilgrim Progress. The guy carrying a great big burden on his back the entire time. We needlessly carry that. We needlessly carry these burdens on our back, struggling to keep our heads above the flood when prayer is all we need to do. Come to the Lord, seek him, pray, cast those cares on him. Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That's the key. But we don't do that. How many times do you come to church burdened by something? And when the call for prayer comes, you don't even stand up or you don't even come forward. I don't want anybody to know that I'm hurting. I don't want anybody to know that I have problems. I don't want anybody to know that think I'm weird. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we never take it to the Lord in prayer. But Esther finds out. Esther does find out. Let's read 4 through 9. So Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her, and the queen was deeply distressed. Then she sent garments to clothe Mordecai and to take his sackcloth away from him, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs, whom he had appointed to attend to her, and she gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. So Hathach 
went out to Mordecai in the city square that was in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries to destroy the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the written decree for their destruction, which was given to Sushan, or given at Sushan, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her, and that he might command her to go in to the king to make supplications to him and plead before him for her people. So Hatch returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Esther, no doubt, was probably embarrassed by her uncle's activities. She probably found out, and the first thing that happened to her, she was embarrassed to her. But we give her a little bit of benefit. You know, we got to give her a benefit of the doubt. Believe that when she heard how much pain it was in, it probably broke her heart. She didn't like to see her uncle in so much pain. But what was her solution to Mordecai's grief? Give him a new pair of clothes. That was her solution. Give him a new pair of clothes. Take him out and give him a brand new suit. Let him go charge something on a charge card. Let him go buy something. That was her, that was her answer. Unlike the sath clock and ashes that he was wearing, no doubt these clothes were bright and colorful and very, very expensive. What was this meant to do? To cheer him up. Unfortunately, many of us deal with our sin the same way. You see, if we're not following the Lord and living by his guidelines, we try to fulfill our flesh and end up in grief and pain. We try to buy things. We try to collect things. We try to do things that will make us feel better. Sometimes there are things that are harmful for us, like drugs and alcohol, sex and drugs and gambling and all that other stuff. We try to fulfill a need that only the Lord can fulfill. We try to make ourselves happy because we're not happy. We think that we need to be happy in the midst of, because our circumstances. It's not circumstances that make us happy. Paul says, I've learned how to be content in all things. I know what it's like to be a base and I know like it's being bound. But I've learned how to be content in all things. Christ is his contentment. Christ is his contentment. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want the epitome of contentment. The epitome of what David said. This is true contentment. The Lord. In him, I'm content. In him, I have everything I need. In fact, Paul was writing to his beloved son, Timothy, in 1 Timothy, in chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, he says these things. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with all that we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmless lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. We try to fill that void in us with all sorts of extemporaneous things whether it be a shopping spree at Macy's or whether it be going up to Kensington and scoring some dope, whether it be going into the local tavern and taking a couple of brews down, whether it be going to the local porner shop or looking at porn on your on your, on your, uh, vid- or your uh, computer or going up to Atlantic City and trying to throw the dice and, and we, we think that that's going to solve a problem in us. But it never does. It never does because I guarantee usually afterwards you feel worse than you did when you went in. You feel so much worse because you start to condemn yourself. You start to beat yourself up. You start to think yourself rotten and bad and you can't do anything. And you get real dejected and you get real hurtful. We can't solve things with a new suit. We can't solve things with a new suit. The only thing we can solve things is when we put on Christ. When we put on Jesus Christ and him. Let's go buy something. Problems start with buying things like cocaine. 
temporary euphoria, but then all of a sudden there comes a problem. When you come down from the purchase of the new stuff, we always want to buy more. We have to buy more. It never ends. It never ends. I'm not saying that buying things are wrong. Don't get me, you know, but when you buy things out of the will of God, when you're buying something just to satisfy something inside, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Been there, done that. We can't do it. We cannot do it. Only God can satisfy that inner need. Only the Lord can satisfy that innerness that you have. The loss will try to cover up anything with a new suit. New suit of success. I'll get a new job. I'll move. I'll get a new boyfriend, new girlfriend. I'll go here. I'll go do all these things. I'll go to college. I'll do this. All these things, all this stuff we look at. Doesn't change who you are. Doesn't change the inside. Only Christ changes the inside. Only Christ changes the heart. You can't extemporaneously put everything in there and try to do it. It's got to come from within. It's got to come from Jesus Christ and him crucified. You got to look at the cross and know what happened there and go forward. But we, 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 are, we just try to do that so many times. Mordecai is smart enough to know that the suit isn't going to solve his problem. Good for him. And he rejects his suit. This allows him to get the message to the queen. I love the fact that the Lord is using Esther's servant, Hathach, and he doesn't even know it. I kind of like this. Let's look. We look at five and nine. Then Esther called Hathach the king's eunuchs. I think I just read that. No, he did. Anyhow, I doubt if he realized how important he was in this drama. I doubt if he realized just how important his role was. And I thought about this. I thought about this a lot. And how often, when the Lord works in our lives, does he use obscure people? How often has the Lord worked in your life by someone obscure? Someone you would never think he would, would use? I mean, let, let, me, let me ask you some questions. What was the name of the boy who had the seven loaves and fishes that Jesus used? Not named, is he? How about that? What were the name of the disciples that lowered Paul down on the wall of Damascus in a, in a basket? We don't know, do we? How about the little girl who told Naaman to go to the prophet in Israel to heal his leprosy? We don't know her name either, do we? No. God uses all sorts of people to accomplish his purpose in our lives. Many of them are obscure, but we remember them. And I have to tell you a story about a lady barmaid in Las Vegas. Years ago, the late 70s, I used to go to Vegas all the time. And I was sitting at the bar in Las Vegas. This was long before Jesus Christ in my life. And there was a barmaid there. She was attractive. And she kept putting drinks in front of me. That's what they did. That's what they were supposed to do. So all of a sudden, she comes up to me and she says, would you like to get a table? Yeah, sure. I'd love to get a table. See, I'm on break next five minutes. I'm okay. So I go over and get a table, and she comes over and sits down to me. She's carrying all these things. I didn't know what they were. She sat there for an hour and a half and witnessed Jesus Christ to me. Right there in the middle of the Sundance Casino Lounge in Vegas. I was spellbound. My man, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I was like... And she witnessed Jesus Christ for an hour and a half, and I let her. I didn't accept Christ then, but I remember her. I remember her. Now she's obscure. I have no idea who she was. I have absolutely no idea what her name is. But see, God uses obscure people in our lives. He uses obscure people in our lives to help us. And I think it's incredible that he does that. Esther realizes that 
Mordecai's rejection of the new suit is probably that there's a deeper problem that she needs to know about. So she sends poor Hatshat back out to find out what the grieving is all about. Mordecai explains to Hatshat, and he gives him a copy of the decree so he can explain to Esther. And he makes another request to the queen. He wants Esther to go into the person of the king and plead for appeal to the degree of slaughter of Jews. So he also gave a copy of the written decree, the instruction that was given to Sushan, that he might know it to Esther and explain to her that he might command her to go into the king and make supplication to him and plead before him for her people. That was back in verse 8. So Hasak returned and told Esther these words. He wants Esther now to go into the presence of the queen and plead that he would repeal the decree that had just gone out to slaughter the Jews. So she has this now, and she doesn't know what to do with it, and she's thinking about what to do with it. So she responds to Mordecai's message in 10 to 12. Then Esther spoke to Hatshak and gave him a command for Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has put one law, put all to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter. He may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. So they told Mordecai Esther's words. So we're going back and forth here. This is the only way Mordecai can find out what's going on. And poor Hatzak, he's probably wondering what the heck's happening. He's probably getting tired of running back and forth. But he does a job. He does what he's supposed to do. He doesn't know he's doing God's will, but he's doing it anyhow. He's doing faithful because he's faithful to Esther. Esther has a problem with the last message. The king will put to death anybody that comes in unannounced. Anybody that he doesn't give the scepter to and basically allows to come into him. Anybody that comes in unannounced, they're gone. They're dead. You don't do that to a king. Unless he raised the scepter, a sign of approval, the visitor lost his head. So Esther tells Mordecai that, you know, I haven't even seen the king in 30 days. I haven't been invited to see with him. I don't even know where I stand with the king. I don't even know if I'm still his wife or whatever. I know I'm the queen. Keep in mind that all through these messages, there's no direct contact between Esther and Mordecai. Also, Esther could not sense the gravity of this situation or how Mordecai felt. And you know what I thought about this? You know what I started thinking about this? I thought I was thinking about texting. You have no idea how I'm feeling. You have no idea my mood. You have no idea because you're not seeing me face to face. All you're doing is reading something that I write. You might read something into it that's not there. You might take exception to something that I didn't mean to have you take exception of. You don't really know the situation because you're not face to face. That's what fellowship is all about. Fellowship is about being face to face, talking to one another in the love of the Lord, getting to know each other. You have a problem, you present it to that person. You talk to them. You pray with them. You get close to them. You know each other. And, And that's what fellowship is. This isn't fellowship. This is just texting back and forth. You know, you text back and forth. You're able to tell, you're able to tell somebody, oh, yeah, I think you're this and that and that. And then when you go, oh, then go, LOL. <laughs> what? Excuse me? You just called me a nerd. And then you went, LOL. I don't know, you know, hey, just kidding. I, that's crazy. We don't know the tone or the mood of the person. You are Thanks for listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank today. 
Pastor Dave is making his way through the book of Esther. It's a familiar story, but the incredible thing about the Word of God is that it's living and active. Every time we go through this book, I learn something new, or it stands out to me in a brand new way. Something that is standing out to me this time is the power of following God with others. Esther wouldn't have the same knowledge without Mordecai. She needed the community of her servants through the time of fasting. None of this was accomplished alone. And you are not meant to be alone either. That's why you're invited to join us at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. Life in community is a necessary and beneficial part of the Christian walk. I can think of many times in my own life I wouldn't have made it on my own. I need the community of believers around me, and you do too. So for those of you in the Cape May, New Jersey area, come join our community today. You'll find all the information you need at assurehoperadio.com. Once again, that website is assurehoperadio.com. And for those of you who can't come in person, we'd still love to be a part of your spiritual community. You can find us on Facebook and YouTube through links on the same website. Or you can send us prayer requests at info at capewatchradio.com. We'd love to pray for you. That email is info at capewatchradio.com. Thank you so much for joining us here today. We've come to the end of our time together, but we'll be back next time as Pastor Dave continues through Esther on A Sure Hope. You've rescued us. Show.